And so today, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to kind of look at a little more of a layout of the temple. I'm going to read through some more scriptures while you can also see some computer animations of exactly what the Bible is describing. And then, this is why I'm doing this too, because I often take for granted that um, you know, people know what the temple looks like, what it looks like inside. Uh, but most people don't really, you know, they've not seen any pictures. We've read it, but again, we're not good at reading and getting images in our heads. So what I want to do, I want to go through the layout biblically, giving you visual illustrations of what the tabernacle looked like. And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 9 and go through that and see if it can help us get a better image and a picture of what it's talking about. Because the things in the temple were a picture of things to come. They were a picture of Jesus Christ. And so I think, um, I think it's important that we understand these things. Now, the Jews, the Hebrews, when uh, whoever wrote Hebrews is writing these things, they would have known exactly what he's talking about. They were very familiar with these things. Because we haven't had a temple in 2,000 years and have not needed one, we just kind of take this stuff for granted. But I do think it can give us clarity. So before we go to uh, some of the videos in the Old Testament, go ahead and go to Hebrews chapter 8. And I want to read this uh, passage to you. I think we looked at this last week. But it says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And so he's referring them back to things that they've spoken about. He's talked about a, a lot of different things. And basically what it all comes down to, here's how everything works. Here is how the Old Testament or the New Testament is consistent with the Old Testament. We do still have a high priest. Again, you know, the high priest ha you know, position hasn't been eliminated, but it's been changed. We don't have uh, the, a Levitical priesthood anymore, but we do have a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And he is seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. That's Jesus Christ, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. This would be relevant for them, too, because they had a temple for almost 2000 years. And then he's saying that there's a true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. He's wanting them to understand that tabernacle that we had before. Yes, you were supposed to have it, but it was temporary. And it was a picture of what was to come. And it was a picture of the true tabernacle that's in heaven. So it says, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. So just like the priests of the Old Testament would offer sacrifices, Jesus Christ also had a sacrifice to offer, but he didn't do it in the tabernacle. In fact, he took it outside the camp and his body was the sacrifice. So it says, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the temple and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. So these things that we're getting ready to look at, they were a shadow of heavenly things. These things never did anything. Nobody ever got saved from a sacrifice in the Old Testament. Nobody got saved by anything a high priest did. But let me tell you, everyone gets saved by what those things were a shadow of. And that is Jesus Christ 
and the work that he did on the cross. All that work that they did, you could say it was a shadow of the work that Jesus was going to do on the cross. And so, uh, that's what he's explaining here. It says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So we do, we have a new and a better covenant. Uh, I tweeted some things uh, this week. I forgot what it was exactly, but it was something against the Jews. Uh, um, I forgot what it was exactly, but I, I do a lot of that kind of thing. And, you know, somebody sent me a, uh, they responded with a passage from Ezekiel about, you know, God putting his tabernacle among them. And then I just went and I responded. You said, you might want to look into the new and better covenant. And I posted the exact same thing that said in Revelation 21. That's for all believers. And again, there is a difference in what we see in Revelation 21 and what we see in Ezekiel. But guess what? What we see in, in, in Revelation, it doesn't exclude the Jews who are of faith. But it is better than what we see in Ezekiel because of the fact that it, it does. It includes Jew and Gentile, and the old, under the old covenant, the law worketh wrath. So there was no way for them to receive that promise under the law because they failed in the law. So again, to go back to the worst, okay, if the new covenant's better, then the old covenant was worse. Okay? And to go back to the worst covenant is ridiculous. And so obviously people, they, don't, they just don't understand uh, the difference between old and new covenant. And a lot of that is because of um, dispensational theology causing errors and building brick walls that people just can't get through. So, don't want to get into that. But go ahead and turn over to Exodus 26. So, we've seen in Hebrews what this worldly sanctuary, as it's going to be referred to in Hebrews 9, is all about. And hopefully you can get through all of this this morning. And what happened here? It went off. Okay, so, um, go, yeah, here in Exodus chapter 26, I'm going to read this passage to you and then I want you to watch the video to kind of help you get an image of uh, what's being described. So it says in Ezekiel 26 verse 1, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of the one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, the breadth of one curtain four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have one measure the five curtains shall be coupled together one to another and five curtains shall be coupled one to another and thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage and the coupling and likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second fifty loops shalt thou make in one curtain and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second that the loops may take hold one of another and thou shalt make fifty tatches of gold and couple the curtains together with the tatches, and it shall be one tabernacle. And thou shalt make curtains of goat hairs to be covered upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. The length of the one curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain, uh, curtain four cubits. And eleven curtains shall be of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of the one curtain that is outmost in the coupling, and fifty loops in the edge of the curtain with which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of brass, and put the tatches into loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. 
and the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth shall hang over the backside of the tabernacle and a cubit on the one side and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent. It shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and covering above of badger skins. Now, don't get spiritual on me. That's a tough passage of Scripture right there, isn't it? Okay, that, that's, that's pretty tough reading right there. But didn't it help, though, kind of seeing that picture as we're reading all that, you know, when you're hearing about the things being coupled together and all that? It is nice to kind of have that visual and so you can kind of actually get a, pic, uh, a picture. And when you're reading this and when you're watching that video, it's like, yeah, I think that's probably what it looked like. So right there is kind of a, um, a description of the curtains, not just the veil that was inside that was rent that we know about from the New Testament, but also just the coverings of the tabernacle because it was, it was a tent and it was one that was very thick. And uh, another thing too, I wanted to mention, I forgot to bring this out last week. If after church you want to look at this, this is a um, guide to the tabernacle. Uh, I got this when we were in Lancaster, that place where they had that model temple. I've not read it all. I don't know about the doctrine that's in it, but I like the pictures and images that it has in it just to kind of give you a visual of these things. If you want to look through that after church, you're more than welcome to do that. But let's go ahead and look at another uh, passage where it talks about the walls. So 26 verse 15, if we continue reading, it says, And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood, standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order, one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards on the south side southward. And thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side there shall be twenty boards, and there are forty sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, thou shalt make six boards, and two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle and the two sides, and they shall be coupled together beneath, and they shall be coupled together above the head of it under one ring, thus shall it be for them both, and they shall have two corners. And they shall be eight boards, and their sockets of silver, sixteen sockets, two sockets under one board, two sockets under another board, and thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards, of the one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And it, the middle bar in the midst of the boards shall reach from end to end, and thou shalt overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold for places for the bars, and thou shalt overlay the bars with gold, and thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount." So right there is kind of a visual. And so this would have been very beautiful. I mean, look at all that gold that's in there. So it would have been a pretty amazing thing to behold. But let's keep reading verse 31. The veil. Thou shalt make the veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon the four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four socks of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. 
and thou shalt put the table on the north side. And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And their hooks shall be of gold. And thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. And so, uh, right there we looked at some of those artifacts last week uh, of the temple. And just kind of a side note here. So, right there's the veil that got ripped. Behind it is the Ark of the Covenant. And so understand two directions. Okay, it, The t- tabernacle was always supposed to be set up in the right direction. So if we were looking in that tabernacle towards the Ark of the Covenant, you would be looking west. And so the menorah would be on the right, which would be... Would that be north? Oops. I'm confused on my directions. How many no directions in here? I should have started with north and I've been able to figure it out. So it's, but, but you have the, t- or the table of showbread is actually on the left. Okay. So here's a good way to picture it. Our, I, th- I believe our auditorium is actually laid out properly. So we're biblical in here. So because, because um, up here, this would be where the veil is. And behind here's the Holy of Holies, right? And, and so, um, so yeah, the Ark of the Covenant would be there. And then the table of showbread would be on, what side was it? I'm all, I'm all turning. So on, on this side, the menorah is on the other side, and then you have the altar of incense right here before you get in the veil into the Holy of Holies. And so the entrance would be back there. So, man, we're laid out biblical. Uh, that just, we just got lucky uh, when that happened. But that just kind of always keep that in mind because they were always supposed to have it that way. So whenever they would set up the tabernacle, it was always set in the center, and then the tribes, they would all camp around it when they were in the wilderness. But it was always supposed to be laid out with those same directions. And then when they built the temple, they did the same thing. Where, and so, um, if you, you know, east is this way, west that way. And so then that would make north that way, south that way. So that's kind of, and that's how our auditorium is laid out. And so uh, you should always check that out. Make sure auditoriums are biblical. Now, we don't have to worry about that in the New Covenant, but I might make it a point of contention since our auditorium happens to be laid out right. So... You ever check that in your church, Pastor Obi? Yeah. <laughs> but but Baptists will fight about anything, right? So go ahead and look at Exodus 27. I want to do only one more video for you because the outside area is important too. So um, now later when they build a temple, we'll look at that next week, they had these outer courts where you know the Jews could congregate. Uh, Gentiles couldn't go in there. But this area in here was kind of a special area that only the priests could go into. And this is where they would offer up a sacrifice before they would go in. This is where they would have the washing before they end. They would go in. So does anybody remember what this is? What's this called? Anybody remember? Yeah, the brazen altar is often what we would refer to it. And then here, this little wash basin, anybody remember what that's called? The laver, right? The, the laver. So the priest would wash right before they would go in and begin to do the service of the tabernacle. So let's go ahead and read Exodus 27. In verse 9, and it says, And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of the fine twine linen of a hundred cubits long for one side. And the twenty pillars thereof and twenty sockets shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side in length, there shall be hangings of an hundred cubits long. And his twenty pillars and their socket, twenty sockets of brass the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits. 
their pillars ten and their sockets ten, and the breadth of the court on the east side eastward shall be fifty cubits. The hangings of the one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three, and on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits, their pillars three, their sockets three, and for the gate of the court shall be a hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. Oh, it's not playing, is it? Sorry about that. Um, and all the pillars round about the court shall be filled with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, their sockets of brass. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, and the breadth there, breadth fifty everywhere, and the height five cubits of fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass. All the vessels of the tabernacle, and all the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So right there, all these passages that we, we read all these videos that we watched hopefully have kind of given you uh, an image in your head of what the tabernacle looked like. And so we've got the, uh, hopefully now you got a little bit of understanding of the vessels and we're just, uh, and so I want you to go ahead and turn over to Hebrews nine. I'll let this video play out since I started it late, but it's basically showing everything. But again, when this passage was being written, you know, there's an image that's supposed to be in people's head and it's supposed to, you know, point to what Jesus Christ actually did. And there's a lot of details, too, even in the crucifixion that we might not really think that much about. We might not pay that much attention to. But in this court, some of the sacrifices they would take outside the camp. Last week, we looked at Hebrews 13 when it says, let's follow him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And not only would they take it outside the tabernacle, they would even take it outside where the tribes were camping during that time. And that was a picture of Jesus too, who was taken outside the city walls. Uh, you know, after he was condemned by, by the Jews, he was taken outside the city walls and he was crucified. He was offered up as a sacrifice. And all of those things were a picture. The light was always supposed to be burning, but Eli, guys like Eli, he let it go out. And, and this too was a picture. Israel was supposed to be being a light to the world, but they were not. When at, G, at Christ's coming, they were not being a light. Their light was out. And so they got rebuked. They ended up losing the kingdom as a result of it. And now we are the light of the world. And so I want to do a couple of pictures here. And then I want us to read this passage. And I want us to try to picture these in our minds. So just a little bit of review. So here's a picture of the tabernacle. And notice all the tribes camped around it. And there was even certain sections uh, where the tribes were supposed to be camped uh, outside of it. I don't remember the details of all that. But um, whenever you see these pictures, you always see like a pillar of cloud. Remember they had a pillar of cloud over it by day? And then they had a pillar of fire over it by night. Which, I don't know how Israel's rebelling when they've got that supernatural cloud and fire over them all the time. That should be a constant reminder that the Lord's here, the Lord's watching. You'd think that would have gotten to behave, but it didn't. And that's why when people say, I'd believe Christ if I could see him, they're lying. It doesn't make a difference. You got to have faith. I don't care what God does, how things are. You have to have faith. But then in this next picture, 
So right here, it's just kind of like got it cut open. And so there you can see the layout where you've got the Ark of the Covenant. You got the menorah. So that's where the menorah would be. Table of showbread would be over there. Altar of incense would be right up here. Um, and that's why we call this the altar up here. Amen. Right, that, you you, you got to get to the altar before you get to the Holy Holies, ladies and gentlemen. So maybe there's something to that. I know. But um, uh, but yeah, so anyway, uh, but uh, in there and behind that veil, that was where the priest would go and he would pour out the blood on the mercy seat, which is the Ark of the Covenant, as we know it as. And so kind of keeping all that in mind, let's go through Hebrews chapter nine, because again, these things, the Jews got obsessed with these things. They didn't want to let go of these things after Jesus Christ came. And, you know, the Apostle Paul would preach and the Jews tried to show them how they needed to forsake, you know, they needed to move on from these things. The writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, he is encouraging them, you need to move on from these things. They are temporary. And, and you know what? It was even prophesied they were going to be destroyed. They were going to go away. They were going to burn. And you know what? Jews wouldn't let go of them. God gave them 40 years in 70 AD. They burned. They, they were all destroyed. They're gone. You, what really happened to the Ark of the Covenant? It probably melted down. I, I know that's you know, going to make for a lame, you know, that you know, uh, debunks Indiana Jones. But uh, at the same time, that's more than likely what happened. I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be cool if it was still out there, but I don't know. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 9 says, Then verily the first covenant... Okay. Now, are we are we going off the first covenant right now? No, we've got a new and better covenant. Okay. And remember, the first covenant, the sacrifice of bulls and goats couldn't cleanse sin. So anyone rejecting the new covenant, okay, and especially people too who are trying to claim to be under the first covenant, they're going to hell. And there, you know what? They're not even offering sacrifices right now. So they're going to hell double. Which I don't know how, but either way. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. A worldly sanctuary. That is a worldly sanctuary. Okay? It's not the purple light church, you know, where the pastor's up there with the smoke machine and skinny jeans. You know, no, that, that's a worldly sanctuary right there. Okay? It says, For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, there it is, and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. That's in there. And that second veil, you had the first one there. You got the second one there, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Those Ten Commandments made out of stone. Wouldn't it be cool to find that? That'd be a cool find. Right there, if, that, if that's still around. And over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. And I don't know why it says that exactly. I don't know if it's because they didn't know where it was. I, I don't know. Uh, but it, either way, uh, I'm open to hear in other interpretations of that, what people think. But it says, now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So that's just referring to this. During that time, they went into that first tabernacle. But into the second, behind the Holy Holies, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So a high priest, he'd only go in there once a year and he wouldn't go in there without blood. 
Okay? It's the Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So some things during that time, they were okay doing these things because certain things had not been revealed yet. But understand, once those things are revealed, you are accountable for those things. And let me tell you, I do believe that you know Jews were able to get saved just from the Old Testament. But I believe today you need to use New Testament too. You know why? Because it's been revealed. And it's clear. And it's better. And if they, if, they, if they will accept the Old Testament, they for sure will accept the New Testament. And some of these Christian groups out there trying to find a way to get them the gospel without using the New Testament, without mentioning the name of Jesus, are wasting their time. That's been revealed. And again, if, they, if, you, if you're getting to accept something from the Old Covenant and they can't handle that, they're not accepting the real thing. So, the, verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So, they were doing these things under obedience, but those things, they couldn't make them perfect. They couldn't cleanse them. They were right in doing them because God told them to do it, but they were temporary, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. And this is not referring to the time of Martin Luther and John Calvin and those guys. No, this is referring to the new covenant. Okay? We believe in the reformation. And, and when people try to say that the church is not Israel and Israel is not the church, and then they go on to explain the differences, you know what they're doing? They're explaining the church unreformed when they're talking about Old Testament. And then when they're talking about the differences, they're showing what the church is reformed. So yes, there's differences. For sure. You know why? Because God reformed the church in the wilderness. God reformed the church in the wilderness, and we are a part of that. So they're kind of making a straw man argument whenever they do their proofs that the church is not Israel. These are straw man arguments that they're making that probably only Catholics are really claiming. Okay? Catholics do have a perverted form of replacement theology that they teach. And one of the problems that Catholics have is they keep too many things from the Old Covenant that we were supposed to get rid of. For example, the priesthood. We, we, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe one mediator between God and man. We believe all of us are spiritually priests and we, and we have access to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. But what have they done? They've inserted another level in there of priests that, we, that everybody needs. It's got to do your last rites. You've got to do confessions too and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got the Pope, the vicar of Christ. I mean, they've got all these people in, and then they even got Mary in there. But, so they've created, even though the Bible's so clear, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, they've inserted the priest, the Pope, Mary, in between all, in between all those things before you get to Christ. So it's just so unbiblical. It's not even funny, but we're a part of the true Reformation. It says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. It, this tabernacle is made by hands. And it served a purpose. But its purpose has been fulfilled. God's done with it. Okay? And so, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, Jesus 
went once into the holy place. But let me ask you, was it the one made by hands? No. Because remember what he told Mary at the garden? Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended my Father. We believe Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and he went into the real temple, the one in heaven. And he put out, poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. We believe that, we believe that he did that. And as a result of him doing that, that was making atonement for our sins. And so as a result of that, now we have access to heaven. But we got to get in through the high priest, Jesus Christ. And that's why, too, when you look at, you know, a lot of people, they'll look at the Old Testament like, man, it was so, it was so racist. There was so much discrimination because, you know, there were certain people that they would keep out of the tabernacle and people that weren't allowed to, you know, allowed to do anything. But we got to understand, and then the only ones that could were people that had been cleansed and had all these different things done and were circumcised and the high priest had to do all these rituals. And, you know, the reason it did that is because heaven is very exclusive. It was a picture of heaven. And in heaven, you're not getting in without, the blood, without a cleansing, without the blood of Christ. And so Jesus Christ, when he did that, it, may, it, it gained access to heaven for all who are under the blood. You've got to have your sins covered by the blood of Christ. And, so, uh, and, and thankfully, he made that available for everyone. And I don't want to get sidetracked. But we'll probably talk about this some when we're going through Romans. But understand, while it, the Jews were God's chosen people, and while God was trying to do a work with them, understand one of the reasons that God ended up, you know, and it was always God's plan, I understand that, offering salvation to all, was if God doesn't offer it to all, then the Jews don't have any hope either, because they also were sinful like the Gentiles. So again, even you know, technically, if you want to get real technical, some of those things under the first covenant would have worked for Israel if they would have been perfect. But since they weren't perfect, and they were like the Gentiles, and they were sinners and came short of the glory of God, Jesus came, as was his, always His plan, and He made a way of salvation that the Jews didn't like it, but it also included a place for the Gentiles. But again... If uh, we can't get in, neither can they. Because the Scripture is proven, both Jew and Greek, all are under sin. The law condemns all of us. So, uh, if the Jews wanted to get, get in by themselves, without Gentiles, they should have just kept the law. But nobody ever did, did they? Nobody ever did. They came short. So anyway, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And understand too, when it talks about those dead works, it's referring to the things of the law. The things of the law, you know, those are what everybody wants to condemn us for and condemn people for. And like, you know, you're not really saved because you're not keeping the works of the law. The Bible calls them dead works. You know why? Because those things can't save. Works cannot save. So only the work of Christ. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, why is this important too? Again, everybody's always wanting to talk about the inheritance that the Jews have coming. But the inheritance, it doesn't come 
from the law. It comes from the New Testament. It comes through Jesus Christ. Nobody has claim to anything without Christ. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So understand what we're seeing here too. And this, uh, next week we'll start showing uh, the temple. And, you're, and, I, and I want you to remember this layout. okay? Because basically, I think what's in heaven probably looked more like the tabernacle, which is bigger, greater. But what this is here, this is like a portable version of it. Okay? It, it's a portable uh, version of the tabernacle that's in heaven. So it was a tent. Uh, I don't believe there's a tent in heaven. I think it was probably something, you know, a building that's more permanent looking. But this was something, this was a temporary thing. And then they used, they used the tabernacle like that for 500 years. It was 500 years that they used that before Solomon finally built the, the other temple that was uh, more of a, a permanent fixture. And that one, too, that was patterned after the one in heaven. And so, so it says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have had, had suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And I don't really have time to get into this too, but notice how the next time when he returns, he's going to come without sin unto salvation. And it's going to be a very glorious appearing. It's going to be so much better because the first time he came and he went into the temple and we'll talk a lot about that and the layout of everything and how that all went down at his first coming on that Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago, which was the coming of Christ. That was not a glorious appearing because Israel was not ready for him and he had to come and he had to basically bear our sins and offer up an offering for sin. And that's what he did uh, on the cross. And as a result of that, he removed sin, but he gave that ministry that the Jews failed at to a people who had his whole, the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And we have been doing the work for the last 2,000 years that the Jews were supposed to be doing of being a light to the world. And under the new and better covenant, thankfully, we don't have a continuing city. 
We don't have an earthly headquarters that we've got to try to get everybody to come to. Go read the book of Ezekiel. Go read the book of Zechariah. Israel was supposed to be a light to the world. The nations were supposed to come to Israel. That, it, yeah, that's how it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be a light. They were supposed to be a people where there were going to be ten men grabbing hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew saying, we have heard that the Lord is with you. But they failed in doing what God said. And so under that new and better covenant, one of the things that we see that Jesus Christ did in this ministry is he told his people who are a light to the world, who he put his Holy Spirit in, who he sanctified. We don't have to do all this stuff to get sanctified. We're sanctified now through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Christ. And, and, and you know what he sent us to do? To go preach the gospel to every creature. And we're already cleansed. We're already sanctified. Okay? I highly, you know, I don't think it's wrong to wash up before you go out soul winning. I don't think it's wrong to take a breath mint or something like that so you can be more presentable to people. You know, but at the same time, you know, we don't have to do those things to make ourselves presentable to God, to be able to be used by the Holy Ghost. Because we, we've got this new and better covenant. And, and so, again, while we talk about how the Jews failed, let's not get cocky. Well, we're getting her done. Well, actually, we're not. It's the Holy Spirit. We're, you know, we're doing this because of Christ. Because without Him, we can do nothing. Okay? So we saw what happened when a people tried doing these things without Christ. They failed. We're getting it done, but we're getting it done because of Jesus Christ, because of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have anything, we don't really have anything to brag about. But at the same time, it ought to get us excited and it ought to motivate us to just keep doing what we're doing. And so anyway, that is Worldly Sanctuary. Hopefully that gives you a little more of a picture. And so next week, we'll start looking at the upgraded version uh, when we see the temple. And uh, it's, it, it would have been a pretty cool place to see, I think. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for... Uh, these examples in your word and i pray lord you'll help us to uh, do our job of being a light to the world and uh, uh, spread the message of the gospel pray a blessed service coming up the next hour in your name we pray amen you are dismissed